0: Hello, and welcome to the Freightvine podcast, your source for all things freight transportation. I'm Chris Kaplis, Chief Scientist at Chainalytics, and today I'm joined by my colleague at MIT, Professor Yossi Sheffi. Now, reading Yossi's entire biography would take longer than the entire podcast, so let me just give some highlights. Dr. Yossi Sheffi is a professor at MIT and director of the MIT Center for Transportation and Logistics, or CTL. He's an expert in systems optimization, risk analysis, transportation, and supply chain management. He's authored dozens of scientific publications and five books. Two relevant ones for our discussion on the coronavirus are The Resilient Enterprise, Overcoming Vulnerability for Competitive Advantage in 2005, and the kind of the sequel to that, The Power of Resilience, How the Best Companies Manage the Unexpected in 2015. Now, outside the university, Professor Sheffi has consulted with governments and leading manufacturing, retail, and transportation enterprises all over the world. This audience probably knows him mainly through the five companies he founded or co-founded. PTCG or Princeton Transportation Consulting Group, Logic Corp, eChemicals, Syncra, and Logistics.com. So I'm glad to have Yossi here today to talk about the coronavirus. Now, following my conversation with Yossi, I'll be joined by Dr. Enami Yub to discuss the truckload market update. So let's get started. Okay, welcome to the Freight Find podcast, Yossi. Good to see you today. Nice being here. Thanks, Chris. Okay, so we're going to jump right into the topic at hand, the coronavirus pandemic or COVID-19. Everyone listening to this podcast should have basic knowledge at this point. It was first reported in the city of Wuhan, China on 31 December 2019. And as of our recording, there have been just over 75,000 confirmed infections with 2,008 deaths in China itself, four deaths outside of China. Now this is coming on the heels of the Chinese New Year, and it's impacted manufacturing, most operations within China, as well as travel to and from China. So you'll see this isn't our first pandemic. Why is COVID nineteen so much different from SARS in two thousand three, or avian flu, or any of the other pandemics?
1: Yes, this is uh, seems to be very different because the range of uncertainty of what's going on is so wide. In the media, this pandemic was compared to SARS. The uh, supply chain disruption was compared to uh, Fukushima and the uh, floods in Thailand. None of this gives us a good parallel. In many of these, in, in all of these, there are a few months of shortages, nothing crucial. There was there were always a alternative. Specific companies were hit, but there was no widespread shortage. So the, on the low side, the coronavirus may be like SARS. On the high side, however, it may be comparable to the Spanish influenza of 1918, which killed millions of people, or on the economic side, the 2008 financial crisis. The reason I'm saying this is that even though it seems that there's reduction in the number of new cases in China, there's a lot of uncertainty, first, about the reporting in China, how reliable it is, and then reporting in Indonesia and in Russia. Russia, for example, had over 5 million, million, Chinese tourists a year. They have visa-free arrangement for two groups. They report only one or two cases. It's just not believable. There are countries in Africa when there's a lot of Chinese workers who went back to China for the new year and then came back to Africa they are not reporting anything. It's just there's a lot of uncertainty about this. So I think one of the main factors here is the wide range of uncertainty.
0: Right. So we're, we're only seeing really the tip of the iceberg because so many countries are not reporting or have, are reporting suspiciously low numbers for the amount of Chinese people they have there. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So what impacts have we seen already?
1: Well, let me take also a continuation of, of your last question. Why is this different? In some sense, it is one of the main reasons that it's different is that this will impact both supply and demand. When we had the, the, the Fukushima disruption, the Thailand floods, it impacted supply for some companies, for some products. Even the SARS caused uh, factory closing for Intel and other companies. But there was no widespread reduction in demand. Here, there's supply heat and demand heat in China. China is now such a large part of the worldwide market that we see impact on uh, on demand. So already we see extended closure of factories. Hyundai in Korea Close factories, Nissan in Japan closed factories because they cannot get parts out of China. And of course, many Chinese factories are, uh, are closed or working at a very low capacity. High-tech parts are already impacted. We see the transportation link, maritime, maritime losses are mounting, the 350,000 boxes were removed from the global trade in the last uh, few weeks. Airlines are not flying. And belly cargo is 52 percent of freight ton, of air freight ton miles. So not only FedEx, UPS, DHL reduce flight, passenger uh, airplanes are not flying, which means there's very little capacity for cargo belly. So that's the supply side. We cannot get parts we cannot get stuff out of China. We cannot get parts into China. Then there's demand reduction for all products in China. Apple just announced, of course, uh, revise its uh, its outlook because both because they cannot get uh, Foxconn to make enough uh, iPhones, and because they are not expected to sell as many iPhones as they expected to sell. So it's a double whammy, and this is something that uh, is new: the effect of both supply and demand.
0: Right. So. So the big difference between SARS, which also happened in China, obviously, is that the market's much bigger from 17 years ago, and they're producing much more because China's so engaged. It's a large part of the world's GDP, and it's hard to find something that is not touched by something in China. How big of a role has that played? Yeah,
1: the world is now, China is about three times larger in terms of percent of the world GDP than it was during the SARS epidemic. So it's a significant part, both in demand and even more so on the supply side. China is becoming the world's uh, factory. So this is why we are just starting to see the impact. The January boxes into um, American ports went down 4%. In January? In January. Okay. And we are just starting to see the impact. Yeah. Because maybe four percent, four percent compared to last January, not not compared because otherwise it's it's a low uh, low month anyway. But uh, I think we are just trying to see the impact because these boxes that came in January, are boxes that were on the ocean at the beginning of December, right? So right. it's uh, so the boxes that are not put on the ocean in January will show up in. February and March will not show up they will not show up they will not show up in, fe- in February and March because they are on the water so we expect to see a rolling impact which will have uh, you know economic effects
0: right so who do you think is most vulnerable here then
1: to understand who is most vulnerable and how it will happen let me explain the bullwhip effect that um, well known phenomenon in in supply chain management the bullwhip effect can be explained like this. Let's assume a retailer anywhere in the world sees X percent, a small drop in sales. Its forecasting system, see, it doesn't get as, as many sales as it, it thought will get. So the X percent drop. Now this, uh, uh, the forecasting system say, oh, there's a drop, maybe the drop will continue into the future. And on top of this, we have too much inventory because we expected much higher sales. So the retailer cuts its uh, order to the wholesaler by, say, twice as much, more, but let's say twice as much. The the wholesaler sees 2x percent drop in, uh, in orders, and they're using the same logic. They have too much inventory, they look forward, and they cut the order by 4x percent. And this goes up the supply chain over and over until it reaches the Small suppliers who are highly leveraged in China, and many of them will go out of business. As an aside, let me just say that uh, during, the, during 2008, Alan Mulally, the CEO of Ford, implored Congress to help uh, his, uh, his competitors, GM and, uh, and Chrysler, because he said, if GM and Chrysler will go down, their suppliers will go down and their suppliers' suppliers will go down. At the end, Ford will have to go down. So he recognized the, uh, the dependency and the uh, bullwhip effect. Furthermore, once demand revives, then it starts going the other way. Some companies have reduced the capacity. Some companies, some suppliers are out of business. So now retailers are ordering because they see demand coming back up, but suppliers cannot supply. So what retailers are doing? They increase their orders because they assume that the supplier will give every one of the customers only a percent of the, of the order. So now we have a phenomenon of phantom orders that are coming in that create another bullwhip effect. So the people, who, the, the 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 companies who are vulnerable are these leverage suppliers uh, upstream in the supply chain.
0: Yeah, because they can't weather the storm either way from a sudden reduction in business and a sudden ramping up again. This happened in the U.S. right after 2009, right after the crisis where everyone cut capacity and had to jump back up. And a lot of the suppliers in China, as you were saying, Yossi, are tiny. And these are the second, third, fourth tier that most of the major manufacturers, the original equipment manufacturers, don't even really have any touch to.
1: Yes. So, so, part of the problem is uh, the OEM hardly knows who this Supplies are. I. I was uh, in my book. I looked very closely at the uh, uh, Fukushima uh, disaster in Japan. I look at the GM. Three days after the after March eleven, which was the uh, tsunami in Japan, GM thought that about uh, three to four hundred parts are missing. They they're not going to have by the time that the. they started working on this, obviously, and three and a half months later, there were 6,000 parts missing. They realized, because there are so many suppliers that they didn't know even that they're a supplier to GM. There are suppliers of suppliers of suppliers of right. suppliers, the fifth, sixth, seventh tier upstream in the supply chain. And... They didn't even know that some of the suppliers were out of business, some of the suppliers couldn't work, couldn't supply. It impacted their customer, their customer, their customer, right. until it reached uh, GM find out all these thousands of missing parts that, uh, that could not uh, build the car. So there's two issues there. There's the bullwhip and the opaqueness of, right. of the supply chain. Both of them are problematic. Let me just say about this that uh, you mentioned 2008. Uh, retail inventory in the supply chain were down... 12% during 2008. Manufacturing sales were down 30%. Imports were down 40%. There was also a Dutch study of, uh, of uh, one of our colleagues, uh, Professor Jan Fransu, on uh, import-export in, uh, in in Holland. And he said for a retail reduction of 10%, tier one and two were down 25%. Wow. Tier three and four were down 39 to
0: 43%. It's yes, that bullwhip going all the way up the up the supply chain.
1: Going all the way up the supply chain.
0: Let me um continue on the bullwhip then, and how it impacts transportation. Because we said all those the the empty containers, the missing shipments are now on the water, and so we're going to see a dip. We expect in February, March, and it depends how long it continues. But then we're going to see the opposite effect. All that pent up demand, it isn't going away. It's going to suddenly be bombarded. So, what do you think is going to happen to the ports on the West Coast? Say a month after the virus kind of crests.
1: Okay, it, it, I think it will take more than a month after the, after, after the virus crests because companies will, will start working. They need the supplier to start working. It takes time in the supply chain, but at one point right, it right. will happen. A few months later it will happen and we will get clogged ports. Yeah. I mean, we will get a high demand. So right now we're, I'm expecting several months of soft market for, uh, for trucking. It will turn around.
0: Yes. yes. Uh, it
1: will turn around when the, suddenly there'll be a huge demand for drayage. There'll be a high demand for uh, trucking and general transportation.
0: But I think it'll be, it'll be focused, right? It'll be coming in from the West Coast ports, maybe from Houston if people start shifting around. But it'll be bringing things in. and might hit intermodal, might get more clocked.
1: It might end intermodal, but I also expect at that point economic activity to pick up yeah. in general. So we will have, in general, higher economic activity. I, I expect, by the way, the next four to six months lower economic activity because yeah. of this in general.
0: But if you look at this as a disaster or planning contingency plan, and so it's almost the same as uh, the trade wars. So uh, companies can't get their products out of China for whatever reason. Now it's coronavirus and capacity's down. Before it was because of tariffs placed on it. Do you think companies ha- are better prepared now than they were, say, two years ago?
1: My answer is, I wish. <laughs> um, it's really amazing to me how quickly people forget. Yeah. How quickly people come and, and say, okay, maybe because of business, maybe because of uh, you know cutting staff and, and people have to do more with less, um, and maybe because we rely on computer systems, that cannot be changed very quickly. So they go back to the mode that they are always operating in. But uh, by and large, and of course there are exceptions. Of course there are exceptions. But by and large, no. But Also, people are talking about taking uh, manufacturing out of China. It is very hard. It is hard, not, and it's not so much because China is the locus of low-cost manufacturing and low labor costs. Vietnam is even you know, less expensive. Uh, uh, Thailand is less expensive. But the Chinese are becoming indispensable in that they are simply have expertise and ability to work at speed. Look how fast they build these two hospitals in, in Wuhan. They have abilities that simply don't exist in the Western world. And it's very hard to move out of China.
0: But do you think this is another Further push for companies to think about it and try to find ways to build because it's also this there's a nice supply chain now you and know, uh, within China, but this is another reason to maybe diversify.
1: Absolutely, yes, yes. And 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 look, companies are doing it, even Foxconn now has plans, uh, you know, outside China. So companies are doing this, but uh, still, Foxconn, uh, you know, Foxconn made 70% of, of the iPhones in China, yeah, they make some elsewhere but still the vast majority is in China. So people are, you know, experimenting, moving some manufacturing, but the vast majority is still China.
0: Okay, so any good news?
1: Yeah, uh, some of the good news is that first about the virus itself. The virus itself is uh, less deadly than SARS. SARS was between 9 and 15% mortality rate. Uh, the corona, the coronavirus is only 25 maybe 4%. The the MERS, by the way, was thirty five percent mortality rate. Uh, you got it; you are thirty percent of dying. This is yeah. no fun. The second is that China is fighting very hard. Not clear what is the success of reducing the so called R not the reproductive number. How many people are being affected by um, by every sick person? But they are fighting very hard. They are doing unprecedented, you know, means to uh, to stop the disease. Between February 1 and February 10, there were about 3,000 new cases a day. Between February 14 and February 17, about 2,000 cases a day. In the last two, three days, there were 1,000 and sometimes less than 1,000 a day, but about 1,000 uh, a day. So this is, you know, maybe good news. Lastly, it's good for environmental sustainability, of course. The, the, the fact that the uh, economic activity goes down always helps the environment. The same is
0: tongue-in-cheek. And so, so what should companies do? What, what do you think companies should do to counter this? Sure.
1: Um, at, this co- at this point, every company should have already set up an emergency management center. Understand who should be there monitoring continuously what's going on, have at this emergency management center all communication, all information concentrated in one place, and have a decision-making protocol. Who makes decision about what when something unexpected happens? The second uh, thing is having clear lines of information gathering with the CDC, the World Health Organization, local governments. See if local governments are seeing something or, or what they intend to do. Understand the plans of local government. Then, of course, understand inventory levels. What's going on at every part of the uh, of the company itself, and if possible, at some of its uh, of its suppliers. Then review the customer base and the product uh, portfolio. Need to set priority now who is first, which product will be built and which customer will be served if the company will not be able to build all its products. So this is particularly important for B2B company. Uh, Most B2C companies just tell you it's unavailable and that's it. But uh, for B2B company, which part we give to which OEM is, uh, is very important and which product we support, because in many cases the same parts can go to multiple products. Uh, of course, reviewing the suppliers. Who is critical? What are their dependencies? Where are their plans? It's not enough to know that um, we send the uh, the check to the headquarters uh, because that's what the SAP system shows us. So we have to map our supply chain, make sure that it's mapped, and we know where stuff is made, not only where headquarters is. Before, finally, I said, uh, make sure that you consult with the Chinese on the grounds. For example, I would watch university campuses because these tend to close first. And uh, so watch what's the right now. Many universities in China, and we know it firsthand, are making plans to cancel the entire spring semester and move it to the uh to the summer right now university cannot open until the end of february uh, but they are just expecting further further instructions so just watch what's going on because this is public record finally i would suggest make plans to start operating to maximize cash flow rather than profit uh, if something really hits and it becomes something even remotely resembling 2008, cash is king. And profits don't count, but start thinking about your uh, payment terms and how to uh, conserve cash in terms of how much inventory you keep and how do you relate to both suppliers and customers.
0: So it's funny, everything you, you mentioned that companies should be doing, except for the very last one, are things they should be, have been doing Anyway, knowing your supply chain, paying attention to these things, and and right now, if you're not, it's almost like you're trying to uh, build the roof when it's raining.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, you should always, <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Setting, for example, setting priorities in case of a reduction. Knowing that. Knowing, knowing this, I'll, I'll tell you why it. This is not a static thing; it's true. it's changing mm. it's changing all Fair. the time. For example. When people are start thinking about it, there's a lot of discussion within the company because somebody will say it's the biggest customer. Somebody say no, it's the smallest customer because they will go down if we don't if we don't serve it. Somebody will say it's the customer we just we just had our first sale to Walmart, so we need to show them that we supported them. There's a lot of reasons how to do it, and right. the, why I'm saying this, what I'm saying is the discussion should be happening now.
0: You should. This shouldn't be your first discussion all of a sudden when you're down to two <laughs> exactly. parts. Yeah. Um, last question, um, social media. So do you think uh, social media is very different now than it was in 2003, right? It's much more pervasive. Do you think it's been a positive or a negative impact? Is it containing things or is it raising fears?
1: Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Both. Both, because there's irresponsible social media, of course that is just reporting things. You don't know what's true and what's not. On the other hand, because of social media, it seems that we know things about China that the central government does not wish us to know about China. So you get both, uh, you know, increase in in fear and uh, because uh, fear-mongering and fear and, uh, you know, just irresponsible reporting. On the other hand, you do get some unvarnished information from the ground.
0: Also, I mean, the availability of information on the John Hopkins site or some of these sites to to have the knowledge day by day of things being reported is just so, I don't remember ever having this much information at your fingertips. All right. Thank you, Yose. I appreciate your time and insights. And everyone, please stay tuned to hear the market update with Dr. Inam Ayub. Thank you, Chris. (music)
2: Welcome to the -the over-the-road truckload market update for February 27th, 2020. In today's market update, we will discuss the market changes in the last two weeks. Let's start with dry van. Active rates have been flat over the last two weeks, whereas the spot rates went down by about 5%. Replacement rate is back being negative and is about negative 1%. This means the new contract rates are about 1% below the rates being replaced. On the term control side, active rates dropped about 1%, spot rates down by 5%, replacement rate is also negative, 1.5%. Finally, on the intermodal side, active rates stayed flat, spot rates dropped by about 1%, and the replacement rate is negative 2.5%.
0: All right, so Enam, what, uh, what are the big takeaways for this week?
2: The biggest takeaways are the spot rates coming back to the same levels as what we saw in Q2, Q3 of 2019. So we saw the big spike uh, in early January and it is a seasonal spike and it's, it's back down to where it was.
0: Yeah. So th- that seems to make sense. It was just a blip. It wasn't a trend with those spot. We're still seeing things coming in negative so the market really is kind of status quo it seems but let's let's talk about some other things that might be uh, impacting it going forward uh first we're seeing a lot of press and a lot of uh, releases coming out about the market changing and that we might be seeing increased uh, spot and in contract rates coming in q3 coyote curve just came out and they gave signs of possibly the market shifting tightening up and entering a new cycle what are your thoughts along those lines you know
2: I think from our data, we haven't seen uh, any indication of markets rising yet. Uh, of course, you know, there's going to be a time when it, it will, but we have not seen anything that's showing the signs of increase.
0: Yeah, the other big factor coming in is insurance. Uh, talking to other carriers and, and reading more on this, premiums are doubling for some carriers. While it typically runs about 4 or 5% of the costs, that varies widely based on the size of the carrier. Um, ATRI had a really great report from Dan Murray that really breaks this down by carrier size for less than five or over a thousand. And the disparity is pretty, it's almost a two, two X difference. So the insurance premium raising due to these nuclear verdicts is probably going to affect uh, the carriers disparately. I mean, so the smaller guys will be hit more than the bigger guys, which, could have an impact because it might drive capacity up but we'll see how that goes but the last one based on what you heard earlier with uh, Yosi talking is the coronavirus um, since we recorded Yosi's session it's been a day or two the virus is showing up outside of china in big numbers in italy south korea iran um, so that's a that's a big deal so it's not contained yet and i don't think we truly know what the impact's going to be uh, it's looking like there will be an extended short-term dip in demand because things don't get shipped in from, uh, from China and manufacturing slows down. But there will probably be, whenever it does crest, whenever the pandemic gets contained, there will be a sharp peak where that demand suddenly gets filled. So I would look for perhaps isolated capacity crunches as we move forward. But I don't know. What are your thoughts along those lines, you know?
2: No, I think I think definitely it's interesting how uh, it's spreading out. And however, in China, it's it's sharply reducing actual fatalities and so forth. So I think it'll be interesting to see how, I mean, the U.S. is preparing, uh, I think, yeah. ahead of time. So let's, I mean, it's up to see what, what's going to happen.
0: Yeah. And I think when you see a number go from, uh, you know, three cases to over 100 cases in a day or two, that means they weren't monitoring well right? Because it's manifesting itself really quickly. It's a doubling effect. But we'll, we'll you know, we'll keep monitoring it. And we think uh, any big push coming through for a surge of demand coming through the West Coast, we'll see that a mile away because that'll be after it's contained. And then there'll be a three week or so lag before the manufacturing gets keyed up again. So it's something to keep in your long term horizon. But short term, I think we're seeing the effect now. Well, that wraps up this episode. The Freightvine podcast is hosted by Inam Ayub and myself and is produced and edited by Stephanie Bond and Abby Haney. To hear previous episodes, please visit our website at Chainalytics.com slash Freightvine. You can subscribe to the Freightvine wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, be sure to give us a review. As always, if you have any feedback or questions about what you've heard on the Freightvine or suggestions for what you would like to hear in the future, please send an email to podcast at Chainalytics.com finally, from all of us at the Freight Vine, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it and learned something new.